Hey, are you or someone you care about considering, dealing with, or being through a divorce or separation? Well, you're in the right place. You don't have to do this alone. There are people who care and want to help. Hi, I'm Dina Court, an author, blogger, publisher, and empowerment coach. Thanks for joining me on the Divorce Magazine Canada podcast. You are going to hear from our team of experts and professionals how to navigate this difficult transition in your life easier, more efficiently, and with better outcomes. Did you know we host online divorce resource groups that are free to attend and everyone is welcome? Check out the links in our show notes and be sure and join us. We love bringing experts to you. Please refer to our Terms of Service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com and stay tuned at the end for the legal language. Ready? Here we go. You're going to get a sneak peek into what happens in some of our divorce resource groups that are online and available to anyone. They're free to attend. In this particular one, we had a special keynote speaker, Holly Brady, who is a certified divorce financial analyst and a chartered financial divorce specialist. And she is going to share here some very valuable information about how finances are affected during divorce, how you can be better prepared, what you can expect and how she can serve and support you through this, as well as help you to coordinate the support you need from other professionals. Let's join the group now and hear more. Okay, Holly, please let us know more about you, your why, and then we'll jump into your slideshow. Sounds good. So um, I'm a certified divorce financial analyst, a chartered financial divorce specialist. Uh, those are specialized designations for people going through um, financial issues with the result of a separation or divorce. So it obviously deals with everything financial. I'm also a certified financial planner and I mutual fund licensed. I help people invest with their investments and I'm also an insurance broker for life and disability. So I wear many, many hats, but what I'm talking with you today about is divorce and finances, which is a very uh, contentious subject for a lot of people and it brings on a lot of emotions. So what I like to call myself is a financial coach, which offers you the guidance that you need when you're going through a very stressful period in your time, in, in time, in your life. So um, whenever you're ready, you can start the slides. Okay, so just to start off, I just want to say what an honor it is to talk with you today. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to reach out to those in our community. Um, I want to jump right in and answer the question that is commonly asked. How will my financial plan be impacted because of my divorce or separation? And, you know, the fair answer is that it depends. It's it's not necessarily just your net worth that's at play here. It's mostly how you're able to adapt to the new norm and expectations of your new lifestyle. We have so many money decisions to make over our lifetime and many life events that will impact your wealth. And divorce is a huge life event that will impact our finances. Next slide. Zach, I got to let a couple more people in. <laughs> sure, you bet. Okay. Yeah. 
and we can wait for them to get settled in. Uh, just a sec here. There we go. Okay. So this is not going forward. Okay. As they mentioned in my intro, like I said, I'm a CDFA, a, a CFDS, a registered collaborative professional for those who are using the collaborative approach. And I can talk a little bit more about that process in a bit. Um, I, I act as a financial neutral for that process and then a certified financial planner. So I know divorces and I know finances and I know the impact a divorce has on finances. It's not just about the amount of money that will be paid to the well-serving lawyers that will help you reach an agreement. It's mostly about finding a way to split the marital property, splitting one home into two halves and rebuilding your financial plan. A lot of times I meet with people who are emotionally raw, financially fearful for their future with little hope they will get through this. This state is the very reason I worked hard to get my designations and modeled my own business around so that I could help those going through a divorce or separation. I first became interested in helping people go through a divorce when my aunt struggled to get through the financial decisions of her divorce. I felt that this is a life-changing event that many people will go through, and I could provide some much-needed guidance and support. Some people ask me how I do what I do, seeing what I see with the destructiveness and negative situations and energy, but I know that I can make a difference by educating and guiding those who are fearful for their well-being and financial future. Seeing clients who are so scared to make any financial decisions at the beginning to seeing them empowered and confident and knowing they're going to be okay when they sign that divorce agreement is the reason I do what I do. Next slide. So if you find yourself on the verge of a separation or in the middle of the divorce process, um, even if you're at the end of the 11th hour before you sign an agreement, the best way to move forward is to know your money. A lot of times in relationships, there's one person that is in control of the finances and financial decisions, even if the other party knows about it. Sometimes one spouse is not consulted or is financially savvy, and that's okay. It just means that person has some catching up to do, and I can help. Next slide. So how do you get to know your money? Here are the top six tips on getting to know your money. First, this is very important. Know how to log on to online financial platforms like bank accounts, investments, employer group benefits, pension plans, etc. It's It's really important to have access to that information now. And in the digital age, everything is digital. You get less and less paper copies. So knowing how to log on to those online financial platforms is key. Um, if you don't already have one, register for the My Account service with the CRA to obtain your own logon credentials. This will allow you easy access to your previous income tax returns, your notice of assessments, Canada Child Benefit Entitlement notices, and anything else pertaining to your situation. Next, gather any documents relating to anything financial, but including but not limited to your paper income tax returns property and investment statements, your pension statements, your bank account statements, et cetera. I have a whole list of financial disclosure documents that need 
that's needed for your file. So if you're curious to know what is going to be required, feel free to reach out to me. Next and very important, make a copy for your spouse if it's a jointly held account as they will need to provide this disclosure as well. Be open and cooperative in the sharing of financial disclosure with your spouse. Hiding accounts or financial documents will only delay the process, which will cost you more in the long run, and the information will be found out eventually anyways. Um, a very important point is don't be afraid to ask questions. This is your financial future, and you need to understand your finances and where you're going. Financial literacy is not taught in school, and you almost learn about it sometimes. So consult with your financial advisor, or enlist the help of a divorce financial specialist like me. And finally, guess what? A budget. You're going to need to create a new budget for your for living on your own with your own living expenses. Next slide. Yep, I said the B word, budget. <laughs> Whether or not you're going through a separation, you should have a working lifestyle budget. It's one of the most intentionally avoided things in a financial plan, and yet it's the very foundation of a sound financial plan. It's more important than insurance planning, tax planning, and retirement planning. If you don't know where your money is going and how to best control it, you will just keep spinning your wheels. A budget gives you a financial base that will create clarity, confidence, and courage on how to achieve all of your financial goals with intention. Don't complicate it to make it harder than it is. It's simply a spending plan. Since setting your budget is the first step in creating a solid foundation and a necessary document when you're going through the divorce process, the next step is to have a date with your money. In this, I mean setting a meeting date and time to review your expenditures weekly until you feel confident to hold your check-in on a monthly basis. Also, I want to point out that creating is a budget is not a stick it to him tool to ensure the highest amount of spousal support is paid. It's an educational piece on how to take control of your finances and make smarter decisions for you and your family. And next slide. Once you've gathered the financial information and built the budget, you will wonder now what? It's important to understand is considered marital property and what might be considered exempt personal property. In general, anything that was inquired, acquired during the marriage or relationship, even during cohabitation, is divided equally between the spouses. If there are inheritances, gifts, or insurance settlements, then legal consultation is required to ascertain whether it's exempt property or marital property. You'll likely have so many questions, but before anyone can say with certainty that they will keep certain elements of the matrimonial property or debts, their financial interests, concerns, and future goals will need to be understood. Many people want to know whether they can afford to keep the house or how they can split their pension. This is where getting professional advice and guidance is valuable. Rebuilding a post-divorce financial plan once the dust settles is important to get back on solid footing for your future. A financial plan that takes into consideration not just what your cash flow and retirement will look like, but includes tax planning, risk and insurance planning, and estate planning is essential in getting back on track. Next slide.
So if you're going through a divorce or separation, get to know your money, enlist the help of a financial professional, and ask questions. Thank you for your attention and time today, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have now. Thank you, Holly. That was awesome. Uh, I think it touched on a lot of things that are tricky to deal with or that we want to avoid. And I, I really liked the point that you made too about sharing with your spouse, because that felt really cringy at the moment. And then when you explain, you know, it's going to come out anyways, and it will speed up the process and make it more efficient. So, you know, just get that elephant out of the way and right off the top. Yeah, it's important to share that information because everybody, each party has to disclose their financial um, data and having those documents, especially if it's a joint account that you know that one party may not have access to or has difficulty accessing it, um, it just makes the process so much smoother. So why not be cooperative? Yes, it's a stressful time and may you may have some vengeful thoughts about your ex, but um, the lawyer is going to need to do their due diligence. So they need to understand your finances as well. Yeah, I'm happy that you touched on that. And I think another thing that was interesting was login information and just informing yourself about what access you maybe don't have that you better get a hold of and start setting up some of your own uh, access and informing yourself too, if you haven't been the person looking after most of or all of the finances at that point yeah and it's usually when we go through a significant life change like a divorce or separation or even the loss of a spouse um due to death the you know taking over the finances can be very stressful so if you know now how to log on to those platforms get access to your bank account your investments um cra is a really important tool to use so that you can go digitally um, and not have to worry about those paper copies. Like, you know, what happens if you have a fire in the house, you don't, you're not scrambling to get all those documents. We live in a digital age, so you should be able to, you know, get a good basic understanding on how to get onto the, onto the software or the, the online platforms. Um, and I think it's really important too, um, to do that ahead of time. Like I said, a loss of a loved one can happen at any time. And if you're not the one that's been in control of finances, uh, it can be a very, very stressful time. And that's just the point I was thinking I would like to broaden this because I think everybody should have that information and, um, you know, just be prepared, whether it's a divorce situation or not, to be better informed about where your finances are is actually takes away some of the fear. I'm just going to check the chat here. I noticed that there was a couple things. Sure. Um, while you mention that um, or look at that, I'm just going to mention it's with the CRA uh, tool with the online account, you can actually look up what your RSP contribution limits are, your TFSA contribution limits are. So when you're doing a full financial plan, that's information that your financial advisors or a financial planner is going to need to know so that you don't over contribute um, unnecessarily and incur any costs or fees. Good point. So here's a question we have. Um, yes, they agree that that's a cringy conversation to have with your spouse when you're sharing. Is there anything that they should have organized financially in advance of that conversation? People have suggested 
that they need to have something in place prior to sharing intentions of the divorce. Should I consult someone on my own in advance? What would you say to that, Holly? Well, you know, I do get a lot of clients coming to me who haven't even reached out to a lawyer. They're just wondering what the process is and and how they should start gathering all this information. So like I mentioned in the presentation, I have a whole checklist of items that is going to need to build your file. And that includes the last three years of your income tax returns and notice of assessments, um, your last two to three years of your financial statements, like your investment accounts, not your bank statements. We only generally just start working with the last six months of your bank statements and credit card statements, because that would be a lot of a lot of paper to, to try and uncover. Um, and then any you know group benefits, insurance policies that have cash value, um, pension statements, and pension statements typically um, are six months behind. So people will only be receiving their December 31st, 2022 pension statement in June. Uh, and that's very typical. So don't be confused by that. Um, and then, you know, if you're looking at a large pension, whether it's public or um, private pension plans, we would consider maybe bringing in a pension actuary to value your pension because people get confused with the commuted value, the, the contribution value versus the actual um, value of your pension plan. So that's kind of a one-off where we might need to bring in a, a second professional to, to assess your pension valuation. Okay, so there is definitely value in consulting ahead of that conversation. So maybe you mm -hmm. enter it a little more confidently too, right? You are a little more prepared, especially if you weren't the person that managed the finances and, or even if you are, that, you know, at that time, having that conversation might even be the first time they're hearing just how committed you are to uh, exploring moving forward with a divorce, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of components to that conversation. So if you can be prepared in certain areas of that, it really makes sense. We have another comment here. You mentioned something about gifts, inheritance, potentially being excluded from being split in half. What are the circumstances that would potentially influence how that is split? So the biggest factor is, has it been commingled with marital property? So does that mean, that means like, let's say you got a $25,000 inheritance or a gift from a family member or somewhere else. Um, if you didn't commingle it or set up an account that's joint with your partner, um, if you kept it separate in just your name, then that would potentially be exempt property. If it's commingled, like let's say you put it as a down payment on your home, your matrimonial home, then that's where it could be, you know, there's a bit of a gray line and you would need the, the legal advice um, to ascertain whether or not it's exempt property. Um, when it comes to inherit or uh, insurance claim settlements, that usually is uh, exempt property because it can be proven that you've you've received this from a, a third party like an insurance company. So it's a little bit different. Thanks for clarifying that, Holly. Does anyone else have any other questions that they would like to ask? You can either unmute yourself or drop it in the chat. It's a complex. It's a complex area to sort out and one that does carry a lot of emotion. 
It, it does. And emotion and finances go hand in hand. And what you need to do is uncloud that judgment when you're very emotional um, and think of this process more as a business process. Sadly, um, the, you know, the, a lot of the laws that are in play here were put in place to deal with business law or commercial law, not necessarily family law. And so you almost have to have that mindset that this is a business transaction of sorts and try and keep your emotional judgment out of it and any kind of vengeful feelings of, I'm going to take them, you know, to the cleaners kind of thing, because there is the laws, there's a matrimonial um, property act and the divorce act that, you know, come into play. And we know that anything that was incurred during the relationship, including cohabitation, is divisible 50-50. So how do you feel about a certain asset? Like a lot of people will say, well, I don't want them to have my pension. That's my pension. I acquired that. I worked hard for it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It really is what the law states. Yeah. And that that's an ouch. That's a big ouch for some people, right? Because you yeah. maybe didn't foresee this coming and, and now uh, your future vision and your future finances are, are now split. And yeah. it, it really alters what trajectory your life has. We have another question. How to save money going through a divorce? In a bank account, it is to be equally divided eventually? Mm -hmm. It is. So what I recommend is that if you currently have joint accounts, keep the accounts open. But that doesn't mean that you can't open up your own personal account. So a lot of people wonder, well, what if my pay goes into the joint account? Should I stop my pay from going into that joint account? But if that joint account is used to pay for your housing costs, right? If it's a if it's a matrimonial home and you both are on title, you're both considered responsible for the expenses like the property taxes, the insurance, the mortgage payment, um, and so on, any you know, um, HOA fees, that type of thing that, that comes out of the bank account. So you can share in those expenses and then you could potentially without, you know, ha have this conversation with your spouse, but potentially take out any money that's not needed for the matrimonial home and put it into your own uh, personal account. Your own personal account is going to be listed on the matrimonial property statement. And a matrimonial property statement, now it's referred to the family property statement, um, to in include uh, common law relationships. But that statement is going to list all of your assets, all of the liabilities, and then it's going to have the account balances or values of those assets and liabilities. And then it's going to have a column for each party. So spouse A, spouse B, and then also a column for joint. So if the house is listed in joint and we're not sure what yet to do with the house and it's going to go in the joint property. So those banks, so getting back to those bank accounts that you open solely in your own name, that is going to be listed on the family property statement and it's going to be used to um, equalize the property. So the advantage then to opening your own account is what specifically then? Just well, just so that you have a little bit more control of your finances. 
sometimes what happens is somebody in the relationship is a little bit more of a spender. So if you want to have a better control over um, the variable expenses that you spend money on, you could open up your own account. But those fixed expenses that's needed to support anything like the the children's um, Section 7 expenses, like their activities, their education costs, um, housing costs, like I mentioned, you know, keep some money in the joint account to fund those expenses. Those are fixed expenses. Perfect. Thanks for clarifying that. And I'm happy you mentioned expenses because we've so far mostly focused on the assets. Mm -hmm. What about any credit card debt, mortgage? Uh, The mortgage may be dealt with if the home is sold, but what about these significant expenses and how are those managed through a divorce? Yeah, so those are listed as liabilities on the family property statement. And basically, whosoever name is it, it, it's in will initially fall in their column. And then as we go through the process and we're trying to equalize the property, then there might be a situation where the other party takes on that debt, whether it's because they can afford it. Um, it's still matrimonial debt, right? But even if it's in their column, it still um, is part of the matrimonial property. And one person can take control of it, take responsibility for it, or it could be used, um, paid out with the sale proceeds of the home. Right. We have that, you know, one agreement right now going on where they're, they have a significant amount of debt. They have a huge amount of assets, but the more significant amount of debt and their, uh, matrimonial net property is about 45,000. So there's not a, a lot left to share, but they, their focus was to sell the property, sell the home and pay off all that debt so they can have a clean slate for, for both parties going forward. How does what you do, what the service that you offer coordinate and intersect with the other people that they may be working with, like uh, mediators, a lawyer, divorce coaches and those those other type of services? Right. So that's a good question. So like I mentioned, a lot of people will come to me at the very beginning of the process of a separation and not knowing where to start. So I will get them started with the, the financial disclosure. And if they are working with a lawyer or a mediator or arbitrator um, um, or even a, a lawyer who is a litigator, then I can provide that financial disclosure to them. I can deliver it to them, whether it's, you know, on a flash drive or a cloud share program or paper copy, if that's what they want. So that that work is done at my hourly rate, which is going to be a lot lower than what a lawyer will charge to do the same uh, work amount. Same thing with the mediator. They're going to need to, to do all that financial disclosure. So, um, the, the benefit of, of it is that you have somebody with the financial uh, expertise and background taking a look at your financial information and, you know, uncovering any red flags that might be there or any other questions that may be not caught by a lawyer or a mediator. Right. That's And you specialize in helping people in divorce and separation situations. So, yeah. and you're, so well, you're well versed there. Yeah, and by drafting the the matrimonial property statement or family property statement in advance, we've had those conversations with the clients or I've had those conversations with the clients on what their interests are in the marital property. Do they 
do they want to um, keep the home or do they want to try, try and keep their pension intact or are they okay with taking on a certain amount of debt? Then I have a good understanding of where their mindset is at and we can have a conversation then around budgeting. Are they going to be able to afford to keep the home based on their income level? Um, then that way, when I draft the matrimonial property statement and I already have the assets and liabilities and who wants to keep what, then that starts the conversation with the lawyer or the mediator and they can say, this is what we're thinking of. We're not being positional. This is not the be all end all, but this is what we're working on with the financial professional. And does this make sense from a legal perspective um, and what they can get their independent legal advice at that time. And the lawyer in their lane they can do what they are professionally skilled to do and I can help them along the way with the financial issues well it's a very good partnership because they can feel confident going in informed they've also you've helped them explore what's important to them they're starting to have some of those conversations really concrete related to their numbers and related to where they would like to go. And, and then when they meet with the different professionals, that, that piece is already in place. Okay, we've got some more questions. Is there some sort of template or guideline that can be used for a separation agreement that we can use with each other prior to committing to a divorce? If we have only committed to a separation at this point, or should we engage with you slash lawyers slash mediators already? Okay, so I'm gonna back up here and I'm gonna say there's, there's both, there's five different processes that you can use to obtain a separation agreement or a divorce agreement um, or a divorce, I should say. The, the easiest way and the least cost um, costly way would be a kitchen table divorce. And we call it kitchen table because you and your spouse are sitting down together. You're looking at your assets and your liabilities and you're coming up a way, with a way to split all of that property. Then you're taking it to each two individual lawyers to have your legal rights and entitlements reviewed with you. Um, usually one lawyer will draft up the agreement and the other lawyer might file it with the court. Um, there is a template and I think you can probably get it through like divorce for dummies or a divorce um, package at Mike or not Michael's um, Staples or a, a DMV registry's office. Hmm. Um, I, I really caution you on doing that on your own and sending it off to the courts, because if your financial situation is very complex and you have children involved and there's spousal and child support payments required, um, the, the draft separation agreement may not be worded in a way that could be enforceable or be enforceable by a CRA and CRA might reject it and send it back to you. And then you need to do the process all over again or redo the, the agreement. Um, the next way to get a divorce or separation is to enlist the help of a mediator. And that's where they draft up the agreement. You still have to enlist the help of your own independent legal advice uh, or your lawyer to have your independent legal advice um, reviewed with you. And then that gets filed with the court. The next way would be um, collaborative and collaborative is a process in which they use a series of four way to six way meetings, depending on how many professionals are involved to help the couple reach a resolution and reach an agreement. It's private. It's kept out of the courts. Um, 
And it really can be a customized and tailored approach to reach an agreement when you're dealing with financial matters and parenting issues. The next way would be arbitration. You'd be, it's very much like a mediator, but you're sitting in front of an arbitrator who's going to basically say, this is, this is what the settlement agreement is and that's the way it is and it's binding. And it's very, very hard to undo an agreement that's gone through an arbitration. Then the next way, which is most costly and more time consuming and more stressful is litigation going to court. And actually they, um, the, the, the legislation just recently came in to state that you couldn't ask for a court date or to see have a, a judicial review unless you've gone through some so, sort of alternative dispute resolution like mediation or collaborative. Um, so if you've tried those approaches, then that's when you would be able to go forward with litigation. But until then, they're going to send you away and say, try mediation, try collaborative. We're trying to keep the courts open for matters that are, you know, emergency orders, things like that. Wow, there is a lot of value in what you just shared, Holly, and information that spells out, you know, what everybody's options are. And uh, it's, it is good to hear that the courts realize it's best to try and sort this out outside the courts, but that that option is there. Um, I have another question here. Can I work with you and my current financial planner? I would appreciate your background or would I need to move things to you as a planner? Now, that's a really good question because not all financial planners have the certifications that you do specific to divorce. That's right. And um, it, yeah, it's really important to know that when I'm working as a divorce financial specialist, I cannot wear the hat as your financial planner and, and manager investments and insurance. That would be a conflict of interest. And that's a huge infringement on my ethics and the ethics of the, the designations that I have. So, um, no, I would only be able to advise you on the divorce financial um, analysis or issues that are as a result of the divorce or separation. I wouldn't be able to act as your financial planner and manage your investments. So you would keep your existing financial advisor or, or financial planner, whoever you're using, they can, you know, help you understand, okay, this is the book um, value of your investments, things like that give you that kind of information that would be needed for the divorce or separation uh, financial data. But they yeah, typically don't have the same designation that I do that delves more further into, um, you know, splitting of the matrimonial property. We're getting some great questions here, Holly. And, yeah, and I appreciate good. where it's, where it's uh, filling in the gaps, even of some of what you're talking about. I have another one for you. Curious of how to keep a cottage from being sold due to divorce. What are your thoughts, ideas on having the cottage stay in the family under the kid's name and divorced spouses' names? Well, see, that's, that can be a customized agreement. Um, you know, if you go straight to litigation and you want a judge to decide whether or not you can keep the cottage in the family, they may say, no, it's to be sell, sold and the proceeds divided. But if you're using mediation or even your own kitchen table divorce or 
um, collaborative, that's where you can customize your agreement and say, listen, we're going to keep this asset outside of the marital property because we're gifting it to the children. There might be some tax implications that you need to take into consideration. So talk with a, an accountant or a tax advisor, make sure that you understand the ins and outs of that. But um, generally speaking, if it's adult children that can take on um, the title of the, the cottage, then it's a lot easier to take that off the table and just let that happen on its own and deal with a real estate lawyer in making that transaction. I think she also mentions in the question uh, that it, it could it be under the kid's name and the divorced spouse's names? Is that something you're able to answer? Yes, it can be under the divorced spouse's name. So um, it would be like joints with right of survivorship or tenants in common. And, you know, there's different ways to list that property on the land titles. If there's a mortgage or any kind of line of credit registered against that property, then that obviously comes into play on whether or not um, the, the spouse that's keeping the property with the kids can assume that mortgage or that line of credit. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. It, and that is, that's very positive to, to hear that for that family in particular, and for others mm -hmm. to understand that there are things that can be dealt with and, and personalized that way in their agreements. I have another one here. Do you help? Whoop, it just bounced up. <laughs> You're welcome to that person. Uh, do you help to assist with property purchase options coming out of the divorce? That's a stressful thought. Property purchase <laughs> options. So when, yes, when, when we're looking at, okay, what can you afford um, if you're looking to purchase a new home for the family um, or whether it's just for yourself, we want to make sure that you can afford the property. So that's where the budget comes into play. We want to know what your income will um, allow you to be qualified for a mortgage or a home equity line of credit of some sort. We want to make sure that that payment is going to be afford affordable. So I typically go to um, cmhc.ca or .com has a really good working um, amount of um, calculators. So it's mortgage calculator, whether or not you can afford the home. It'll calculate your total debt service ratios, your gross debt service ratios, so that you're aware that, okay, housing costs should not be more, including your property taxes, your insurance, um, your mortgage payment should not be more than 40% of your take-home pay. That would make it a, an affordable property for you or, and be ideal. If it's more than that, then that's maybe when you should either look at downsizing or renting for a little period of time to save more for a down payment so that your mortgage payment isn't as hefty. And this is something you'd be able to assist people in working through mm -hmm. or with you can. Okay. Yeah, do you uh, do you offer financial services to people outside of, of divorce? Like before you said, there's a, a distinction between what you do and if they already have a planner or want to have a, a separate financial planner, you can also just offer services as a financial planner outside. I do. Yes. Okay. So I have basically two separate services um, under Prospera Solutions. One is the divorce financial specialist that's separate. And then also I have the financial planning and investment management and insurance brokering under a different um, 
separate service. We had a couple more questions for Holly in regards to how to save money if you know that eventually that is going to have to be split and shared, as well as concerns around hidden accounts and where maybe someone is not being transparent or honest about their assets. Let's hear what Holly has to say about that. Yeah, that's a very fair Thanks. question. And I've, I've dealt with a number of cases where there has been dishonesty or financial infidelity which is a total um, separate issue and, and causes a lot more emotions on top of the, the emotional status. Um, the, with the question on how to disclose or how to find that disclosure, um, if they're uncooperative, if mediation and collaborative uh, arbitration hasn't worked to, to really draw out those accounts that you think are, might be hidden, then that's when you have to go to court, um, hire a lawyer, to do what's called an undertaker uh, questioning and your lawyer and his lawyer will have an opportunity to drill both of you on what accounts might be hidden and if there's any indication um, in your current accounts that you have statements for that there's money going into or out of another account that you're not aware of then that's when it can come up that specific account inquiry can come up during questionings then they have to go through what's called undertakings and respond to those questionings. And it's very much a, um, a legal process. And even there, and I've witnessed this, people can be untruthful and say, no, I don't know anything about it on, while they're on the stand. And, but it's where the financial experts can come into play and become an expert witness and say, no, this something exists this transaction occurred out of this account on this date, where did that money go to? And if they're truthful, great. If they're not, then sometimes you just have to let it go. And you'll, you'll never know what, what was there, or what wasn't there. Because really the cost of the lawyers, cost of the court fees may not be worth the amount that's in the account that's hidden. Um, saving for your, in your own account, there's different ways to establish what your separation date is. You can either have a separation date, the date that you guys actually physically had that conversation to say that we're no longer wanting to be in this relationship. That could be your separation date. It could be the date that the person left the matrimonial home. It could be even a date that's in the future. For tax purposes, you may want to say, let's have our separation date December 31st, 2023, so that we are both entitled to the government benefits, you know, if there's children involved and so on. So it really, um, that's a conversation that needs to be had with your lawyer for legal advice on what to pick as a date of separation. And if you have uh, open up an account after the date of separation, typically that's left off the matrimonial property statement. But I, I'm very cautious to say that because again, you need some legal advice to accompany that. Thanks for clarifying that, Holly, and addressing that question. I think it relates to a lot of people. They have concerns about, about what, you know, what, what is out there they aren't aware of and how are they going to get that information? Because 
you know, we, we, we take pride in the fact that we're going to be transparent and honest, and we would, would hope that uh, the other parties involved are going to do the same. And that, you know, might not always be the case. So uh, I think it's a valid point about the, sometimes just letting it go might be the, uh, the end result and the healthiest. We have another comment. Um, mm -hmm. And you might need to translate what this ac one acronym is. I think having CDFA is vital as the financials in divorce can be very stressful and tends to cause a lot of anxiety. Great to have this conversation. Thank you for that comment. Thank you. Yeah, so CDFA stands for the Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Oh, that's you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's great. Um, it's a designation that has definitely um, helped to empower my business as far as my, my personal goals in helping people. It's not about, you know, for me, it's not about the income level. It's about feeling that I've helped somebody go through a very stressful situation feeling, you know, that they're feeling disadvantaged in any way because of their lack of financial savvy to where I feel like I've given them some coaching, some guidance, some insight and help them managing their finances so that they feel that they can go forward. And it's like a, the weight of the world just lifts off their shoulders once they've been able to feel confident that they can do this on their own. It's a relief just knowing there are people like you out there that are well-versed in in helping with these stressful situations. It's, it's a difficult transition with so much emotion and there's emotion in all of it. And the finances are, are definitely one of the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. Something I thought of earlier that I wanted to ask about as well is in relation to the children and how they are taken care of, are you able to help people navigate the financial uh, arrangements that are determined for how to how to care for the children in the future? On the financial side, yes. Um, we there's a, there's items what's called the Section Seven Extraordinary and Special Expenses for the Children. So we ask the parents to you know create a list of activities that are extraordinary and very special activities that would be costs that the family would incur, um, and have them itemized. So then we can decide. Okay. Who, what's the ratio of sharing those costs going to be? Because it's very rare that both parties make the exact same amount as the other party. So usually if the, the household is, uh, you know, say 100,000, one party makes 70,000, the other party makes 30,000, then we know that those section seven expenses, the total is going to be shared 30, 70, 30%, 70% for the other party. So then that makes it easier for budgeting and knowing, okay, ahead of time, we've got dance, we've got hockey, we've got camps, we've got education, you know, supplies, how are we going to manage that? Then those section seven, section seven expenses are written out. So then financially, you know what you can expect. Okay, that's really good to know. Thank you. Have we got any other questions or comments? You can either drop them in the chat or unmute yourself and ask, and we'll address those. Oh, we have another message. If one or both of us has had some recent job changes that have impacted income levels, will that be taken into consideration? Ooh, that's a good one. 
Yes. And that's why it's important to have the income tax returns from the last three years. So that if someone has deliberately underemployed themselves so that it, they try and save on the amount that they have to pay in child support or spousal support or both, um, then, you know, we can take a look and say, okay, this is typically what you would make. Why did you take a position that's, um, you know, lower income and maybe something that you're overqualified for? And it's not just answering to us or the lawyers, but you would also have to answer to a judge. If it did go to court, the judge would ask those same questions. Why did you underemploy yourself? And they could possibly state, well, too bad. This is what your income level was. Get a better job, bring up your income level, and you're going to be on, on the hook for an X amount of spousal and child support. Uh, so in this case, it's a higher income. Now, I just want to, before you address that, comment on, there's been a lot of upheaval for people through the pandemic. And in many cases, they may have taken a hit and had to pivot or adjust what their employment looked like. And so, you know, that's a tricky definition to try and determine whether they actually are purposefully underemployed themselves. Absolutely. And that would be taken into consideration is the pandemic income. Um, and people typically, like over the last three years, they had lower income than the way they did in 2018, 2019. So that is taken into consideration. And we try and keep that in, that conversation in context so that somebody doesn't feel that they're being judged too harshly. Um, but we have seen many, many cases where some people underemploy themselves specifically so that they don't have this have to pay out to a spouse. But in the case where it's a higher income, um, we will use that income um, for income determination uh, for spousal and child support uh, advisory guidelines. Um, if there's bonuses that are at play here, then again, we'll use historical uh, income amounts to try and determine the income for the, the support guidelines. That's good to know. What about entrepreneurs who might see a, a lot of fluctuation in their revenue over the years? Mm -hmm. So that's where we would take an average. Um, and it, again, it's depending on what process you use. Um, if it's litigation, it's pretty straightforward. It's very cut and dry. Whereas if you're using a collaborative or mediation, it can be very customized and tailored. Um, and the spousal support and child support advisory guidelines are just that. It's, an, it's a guideline. And they have low, mid, and high ranges as far as what the support monthly support amounts would be. So you have to kind of come up with a formula or some way of saying, well, this is what I need, or this is what I should pay or what I can pay. And that's where the budgets are really important to know ahead of time, what are your lifestyle expenses? And like I mentioned in the presentation, your budget is not meant to be used as a tool to say, or, and be overinflated to say, I need this amount of support or else because I won't be able to live. It's not to be meant to be used like that. It's not a stick it to them tool. Yeah. Such good information. Oh, one more popped up here. We'll just cover that and then we'll have to wrap here. How that scenario 
can be impacted due to retirement. One spouse retires and has a pension. The other spouse is still working full-time. In theory, the retired spouse could get a job to augment their pension, correct? Mm, this is a good one. There's many, many different scenarios that happen. And um, more frequently, we're coming across what we call gray divorces. So people who are in you know, a senior uh, age and they're retired and now they're trying to split their property uh, without any future working years ahead of them, right? So they have this one pot that now we have to split into two households, which can be very, very difficult. Um, so if one spouse retires and has a pension and the other spouse is still working full-time, what you could do is um, if there's trying to be an equalization of the income levels, the pension can be shared or split at source with the other spouse that's working. And then the spouse that's working, they could again, split their income and pay spousal support to, to the other party, if that's needed. Some people will just say it's a wash, you keep your pension, I'll keep my retirement, my employment income and call it a day. But um, usually when there's a pension in play, it is split at source. So meaning that it'll go, you know, if it's through the LAPP, MEPP, um, or a federal pension plan, they'll just go to the, the pension or the pension administrator and say, let's split the pension. What would that amount be? And then they'll get the estimate from the pension administrator. And can you explain if someone is in that situation where one party who has the pension uh, initially or either when, when one starts to receive that pension, mm -hmm. then the other recipient can also then at that time, even if they aren't at the age of 67 or whatever it is now, they can now start pulling that pension tax free, right? Or how does, how does that, no? <laughs> so it's not tax free. No, it's pension. It's um, it's a registered asset. So that means that it is taxable okay. in the hands of the recipient. So um, if it's a pension that's in play uh, or in, in pay, I should say, we don't put the asset amount on the matrimonial property statement. It's because it's an income that's going to be divided at source. So if the, the person, the, the other spouse that's going to be receiving half of the pension is still working and doesn't need that income yet, then it can go typically, there's, there's certain rules with certain pension plans, but typically it goes into what's called a locked in retirement account or a lira. And then when they return or when they retire or um, by the time they turn age 71, they have to start drawing an income from that, from that account. Sometimes they, the pension plan will create a pension for that other spouse that's um, still working, and then they can draw on the pension when they decide to retire. Okay, that's really good. Um, I so thank you, Holly, for your time and incredibly valuable information that you've shared. It's just really amazing how we can find support through this with our finances and all this, this tricky conversations, et cetera. Thank you to everyone who joined us today with it, whether it was your lunch hour or, you know, wherever, wherever you joined us from. Thank you so much. We appreciate your participation, the amazing questions that you've asked and, and where, where we took this conversation to cover so much. All of Holly's information will be shared 
in the group. So the description, there's already her links are there. I'll check and make sure that all the information is there and update anything further so that you have no problem to, uh, to contact her. And just know that there, you aren't alone. There are people who care and want to help you and join our next meetup groups. There's lots of specific information as well as our connect groups. And in the connect groups, you can also informally meet other service providers who are out there. And if you are a service provider as well, it helps you build out a network so that you can better serve your clients. So I thank you very much. Um, we've got a podcast as well, YouTube channel, check out our website. There's lots of information that's available for you to support you through this. And uh, again, thank you very much, Holly, for your time and My for pleasure. being here with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hopefully you heard something today that helps you wherever you might be in life. Do you have questions or a suggestion for a topic you want to know more about? Let me know. Check the show notes for all the contact information. Follow this podcast and find us on social. Know anyone who might find this information helpful? Be a friend and share it. And hey, thank you for hanging out with me today. Keep smiling that beautiful smile. The world needs your sunshine. It means a lot that you spend this time with us and meet our experts and professionals who can help you through divorce or separation. Please refer to our terms of service available on our website, divorcemagazinecanada.com. The link is in the show notes. Our disclaimer, divorce resource groups, blog, and all content, including our podcast, is intended to educate and provide quality, credible resource information. The contents should not be used as factual until consultation with the appropriate professionals for any guidance. Divorce Magazine Canada does not constitute endorsements for nor liability for any claims made in the presenting of this information.